Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Hey, everybody. Doing a solo podcast today. We got so, a few interviews in the can that we're going to be releasing over the next couple of weeks. We've got um, Trish Williams coming on to talk about business goals and really the idea of mission, vision, values, and how that should work in laying the foundation for a profitable business. And then we've got a couple good interviews coming up with folks that are doing some interesting things in the world of healthcare tech, really about um, not only just getting into healthcare tech and some of the things that are being developed, some of the technologies that are being developed, but really we've got a guy coming on who's gonna be talking about the process of if you've got an idea, how do you get, how do you go about getting funding for an idea or a technology or an invention or something like that to bring it to the market? So hopefully that'll be a, an interesting conversation that we'll release in the next few weeks here. I wanted to take today aside though, or this week, and talk about a couple videos that have been making their way around the internet, specifically in the PT, OT world. Um, as you know, I'm an occupational therapist by trade, used to be a professor, consultant, all that kind of stuff. So the PTOT folks are uh, are my folks. <laughs> I spent a lot of time talking with and communicating with uh, occupational physical therapy practitioners, whether they be practice owners or individual clinicians or uh, professors at different departments and, and university uh, universities across the country and the world. So whenever something comes up around, you know, save the profession or the problem with physical therapy or occupational therapy, um, it gets my ears perk up and I kinda, kind of uh, pay attention a little bit more. So, so I wanna talk specifically about a couple videos. One is, was put out by a guy named Will Humphreys. He's a physical therapist and he's part of the, or the, the owner of the Healthcare Business Academy, I believe. If I'm wrong, you know, shoot me an email, correct me. <clears throat> I'm gonna link to his video and then to Tony Maritato's uh, response video because I think they both illustrate um, kind of just some of the frustrations in healthcare, specifically in the physical rehab world, and kind of for for better for worse, <laughs> throw in my two cents into the into the dialogue and the in the conversation. So uh, Tony was on the show a few episodes ago, and he talked specifically about. Um, building resilient businesses through differ diversifying revenue streams. So we talked a little bit on that show about monetizing a website, for example, and how he's used some of these um, income streams to kind of shore up his business and keep it stable through the times when maybe you lose a contract with a, a an insurance company or reimbursement rate goes down or you lose your therapist and the, one of your therapists and they take all of their patients with them or, or whatever it happens to be. So building in that resilience and piggybacking off that episode, we're going to launch into um, the the topic for this week, which is how do we save healthcare? Um, 
obviously it's it's no no surprise especially if you work in the healthcare industry that healthcare has some problems specifically in the US right um, whether it be clinician burnout um, decreased patient satisfaction or engagement really clinical outcomes we spent a lot of money in the US for outcomes that are subpar some might say there just tends to be especially professionals working in the field and who have worked in the field for a while just this general kind of hopelessness about healthcare as a profession. Um, I wrote a lot about this in, in the book, Better Outcomes, A Guide to Humanizing Healthcare. And some of what I'm gonna talk about, I mentioned and discuss in great detail in the book. I'll link to that in the show notes as well, in case you wanna go buy that book and read it. You know, shameless plug, I, I wrote a book, go read it. But the the general idea, and Will's, Will's video was the first one that that kind of kicked things off and then I saw Tony's response. I've seen a couple other folks respond to it as well, but his video basically was a plea to physical therapists that we need to do something because the professions, physical medicine, physical rehabilitation are getting crushed, right? Um, whether it be declining reimbursement rates that have led to increased utilization and productivity requirements or um, administrative burdens and regulatory burdens that are keeping clinicians mired in the act of or the administrative process of delivering care as opposed to the the reason we got into healthcare, which was to to make meaningful impact in our patients and our clients lives so he talks a little bit about how he got into physical therapy and that's a cool story again I'll link to the video go go watch it um, and it, it's kind of interesting because the more and more I talk to folks in the healthcare field, specifically those that are doing something um, big, whether it be starting a business or training other clinicians or whatever, they they all come to this. They all got to healthcare because it's it was more of a safe career choice. You know, a while back we had um, the guys from Build My Team on the podcast and they talked a lot about the two types of, of clinicians that or the two types of professionals that make their way into healthcare. One of them are uh, or one of them is is the group of folks that were told that there's always sick people, healthcare is a safe, steady, secure job, right? And those clinicians nothing there's nothing wrong with that. We all have to feed our families, we all have to put food on the table safe, secure, stable jobs, do that, right? That's great. And then there's the other group of clinicians. And these are the, the groups, uh, this is the group of clinicians that I'm assuming Will is part of and Tony is part of, and I would definitely associate myself in this group. And that's the group of clinicians that come to the, come to a career in healthcare, not so much as a choice of a career among many or you know, picking a, a safe, stable, secure income stream. We came to healthcare because at some level it was a calling of some kind. Um, I use the term, it's a vocational aspect. Some people use the term, um, it is a, is a calling or a, um, a mission of their lives. And some people come to healthcare because for better or for worse, <laughs> healthcare is just the way by which they're living out their true purpose and calling in the world, right? So I got into healthcare specifically um, in an occupational therapy because when I was uh, 16, 17 years old, I fell 
uh, while fishing in a river and lacerated my, uh, here it is, my flexor tendon, my flexor pollicis longus and my median nerve in my, uh, in my left hand. And that landed me in an occupational therapy clinic two to three times a week for the balance of the summer before my senior year in high school. And I like to say that there's never a good time to end up in a Kleinert splint like this <laughs> um, with, you know, with the rubber bands and, and all that kind of stuff. There's never a good time for that. But in my case, it seemed like that injury, that experience came at a, at a time in my life where I was kind of trying to figure out what the heck I wanted to do <laughs> after I graduated, right? My, my grandfather was a vascular surgeon, so I'd grown up seeing healthcare through that lens, and he ran his own private practice before he retired, and I knew that I liked that. I liked the fact that he had relationships with his patients. They would come in, and he would ch chat with them about X, Y, Z, you know, the kids, the grandkids, whatever, and he was helping them in a meaningful way that had a, a major impact in their lives, whether it be... Um, some kind of vascular procedure to improve uh, flow in their legs, circulation in their legs so they could continue walking or, or whatever it happened to be. He was doing some real meaningful work. And I wanted to do some of that. At the same time, I'd had a conversation with him a few years before my senior year, maybe freshman year in, in high school, and I had my, ha my, my heart set on, I'm going to go to med school um, and I'm going to be call it hubris or overconfidence I was like I'll go be a neurosurgeon and that way I'm doing like brain surgery and really making some impact and my grandfather I remember having a conversation with him when maybe I was at lunch at their house or something like that and he said you might want to rethink doing that because the the amount of work the amount of effort the 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 amount of imbalance that takes place in some it's very easy to lose that the balance of what is truly important and he was very big on family so am I um, and he knew that about me you very much value this idea of working to live not living to work and when you get into those really high specialties in healthcare, specifically in, in medicine you, it's very easy to lose sight of that um, so he was advising me to go do something else. <laughs> My father, on the other hand, was a was an engineer, still is an engineer, and uh, he was very much wanting to push me in that direction too. You can go be a chemical engineer, you make a, a decent salary, decent living, um, doing nerdy math, right? And I, you know, I had an aptitude for that kind of stuff, so I figured, well, maybe I'll do, you know, maybe I'll do engineering, maybe I'll do something in healthcare. I just don't know what. So, excuse me. So there I am, the summer before my senior year, land on a bottle, end up in a Kleinert splint, end up uh, in a physical therapy, occupational therapy clinic for three times a week for the balance of the summer, and then, excuse me, a couple times a week into my senior year, probably the first quarter or semester of, of senior year, I was in there in an in a occupational therapy clinic seeing what was going on. And I will never forget my occupational therapist, her name was Anne. And I ended up going and, and shadowing her throughout the tail end of my senior year and into freshman, sophomore year in, in college while I was prepping to get into OT school. But I remember just the way she, she approached my recovery. So obviously there are things you have to do with a, a flexor tendon injury, right? You need to do you need to follow the, the protocols, do the right exercises, yada, yada, yada. But she took the time to really 
learn about what was important to me and then try to work that into the treatment plan. So um, I was a high school guy. I was playing guitar. I couldn't play guitar because I was laid up like this. Um, and she said, well, why don't you start bringing your guitar in and we'll, we'll figure out what you need to do and then we'll kind of give you some exercise, give you some activities to get you there. So after that experience, I was like, man, this is really, really what I want to do. I want to get... I want to be in the position where Ann was, where I can help people who have experienced some kind of injury, um, some kind of life-changing injury in some cases, or surgery, and I want to help them get back doing the things that are important to them. So that's what drew me into, um, that's what got me into, into healthcare, into occupational therapy. So fast forward a couple years, and I get into a, a clinic. My first job out of school is uh, at a nursing home, a couple nursing homes. So I was the, the only OT. I was in charge of two facilities. I think there were like six or seven assistants under me. We had 150 beds between the two. I mean, it was way overload. But the thing that that really struck me, like punched me in the face as soon as I got out of school, like first day on the job, was just the amount of effort or the amount of importance that was placed on the numbers. Now, some of that is profitability, and we can talk about that in a minute. Will makes a, a mention of that in, in his video where obviously you need to be profitable because profit is not the main end of, of going into healthcare, but it is the lifeblood of any business. You need to be profitable in order to sustain and keep providing that, that care. So I get that. But at the same time, there was, at least in at these two nursing homes that I was at, a very overemphasized view on maximizing uh, productive capacity out of the clinicians, sometimes at the detriment of, of the patients and clients being served, you know, whether it be, you know, I think it, back then it was like 95% productivity. It might have gone up since then, but that's about where it was. I think at the end of the day, I had something like 28 minutes or so, I can't remember what it was, 28 minutes, 30 minutes out of a out of an eight-hour day to do my documentation, every the rest of it was gonna was had to be involved with direct patient care, um, and at some level that is intuitive. At the other level, you have to, you think about all the administrative burden that goes into providing healthcare, documentation, uh, communicating with clinicians, physicians, nurses. Um, I'm a big fan and a big proponent of utilizing knowledge translation as the main way that occupational and physical therapists provide value to clients, which sometimes means patient education, sometimes it means educating staff, sometimes it means coordinating with other healthcare professionals to better the care of or the treatment plan of this individual. So there's just a lot of stuff that's quote unquote unpaid time that you have to do in order to deliver a high quality service such as healthcare. So one of the things Will says in his video is that people, clinicians, PTs, and OTs are just too busy. They don't check their emails. They're too busy looking at their schedule, finishing up their documentation, planning out their day so that they can meet the rigorous demands of most corporate employers while also not losing their sanity, right? And I think back to the, the conversation that I had with Larry Benz from Evidence in Motion. He wrote the book Called to Care. One of the things he mentions in that book is that by focusing too much on that, you end up dehumanizing the people that you are serving. The I always say healthcare is a human experience. It is one person skilled in the art of healing, um, assisting with really coming alongside of and guiding another human 
who is on their specific road to recovery and it's our responsibility as clinicians to meet individuals where they're at and help facilitate their overcoming whatever obstacle or dysfunction or diagnosis or managing their chronic pain, whatever it happens to be. And that can't happen if you've dehumanized the person that's in front of you, right? If it's just, you know, Mr. Smith, he's a shoulder patient that I need to get four units out of because if not, my boss is going to be yelling at me for, for not being productive enough or whatever it is. So one of the things Will, Will says in that video is very much that people are too busy, clinicians are too busy, and maybe that's why nothing's getting done. So this is kind of where we, we maybe diverge in thinking. So Will's, Will's idea is that the way to fix some of this, or one of the ways to fix some of this is through advocacy. And he's, he was lamenting the fact that physical therapists aren't advocating enough and he was asking about whether it was apathy versus inaction and it's probably inaction because we're too busy too tired too too stressed too overwhelmed to do the things that we need to do to you know fight for high reimbursements to prevent the medicare cuts you know the same deal every year right cms always comes out and says they're going to drop or reduce reimbursement rates by 15 percent to physical medicine or occupational therapy physical therapy and everybody freaks out the professional organizations get involved and then they come out and say oh it's only going to be a 1.2 percent drop or whatever it is but it's always a slow steady decline down right so thinking back to this idea of profitability needing to be uh, obviously it's a, a key piece of being in business and the fact that we're dealing with an environment where in order to provide services, in order to, to remain fiscally solvent on the other end are these payers and they need to cut costs and they view the, the services that are being provided as costs. You can argue about whether or not that's um, whether or not that's legitimate and the value we provide and all that. But the reality is decisions are being made by number crunchers who are looking at spreadsheets, looking at inflows and outflows and just trying to make the numbers balance out. Right. So we're in an environment where we are providing services, usually time-based in a fee-for-service model that requires, you know, spending X amount of minutes with a patient or a client in order to bill so many units and that translates into revenue, right? One of the things that I grew very much aware of in that first six or seven months, because I did not last very long in that position, um, I ended up transitioning into really a sweet gig at the Department of Veterans Affairs, but that's a, a, a story for another time. One of the things that I realized was that this view of healthcare, where we're looking at everything is measured in terms of quantity over quality, was one, unsustainable. Because again, you could get in a position like we're in now, where all these payers have begun cutting reimbursement rates to the point where... Um, to the point where you're now having to double, triple patients, see a whole bunch more, increase your volume in order to make it up on the back end from, from a reimbursement standpoint. But then the other piece that I really didn't like was the fact that instead of looking at the client or the patient sitting in front of me as a unique individual, I was getting down to the point where I was just going through the procedures or the process of delivering healthcare and not so much looking at the individual situation, the individual context of that person, and then building a treatment plan around that um, because that would be more effective right however we couldn't because we were just crushed for time so um, 
write about that in the in the book here in Better Outcomes: A Guide to Humanizing Healthcare. Just taking the importance of taking that biopsychosocial approach. So if you want more about that, I've got an article on the site. You can read about it in the book. Anyways, so what do we do about that? Like, how do we how do we fix that problem of clinicians being too busy, hitting burnout, um, feeling like they are either going to leave the profession entirely or take a step back from patient care because they can't, they can no longer sustain the workload. Well, you've got the idea that's kind of propagated through a lot of the professional organizations. And part of it is, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's done intentionally. I just think it's, it's done at the only if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So one of the one of the uh, points that Tony makes in his response video is that, you know, maybe we just need to look at our business models as clinicians. Like maybe it's not so much trying to go and, you know, fight for the scraps from Longshanks' table, <laughs> to, quote, to quote Braveheart there. Like that's just one, it requires a lot of effort it requires a lot of organization, requires a lot of time, and the payoff is very, very limited. Because what you're going to prevent the you're going to prevent a pay cut, or you're maybe going to get a small bump. Is that really worth it? All the time, all the effort, all of the the resources that are being committed to lobbying somebody somewhere in order to keep us from becoming irrelevant as a as a profession, right? That just doesn't excite me. <laughs> I don't, I don't get super excited about begging somebody to make or to value my services more, right? Value them and then reimburse them at a specific rate. One of the things that I do very much agree with Tony is this idea that we live in an economy and in, in a world today where it has never been easier, easier, more necessary, and more impactful for someone with specialized skill and knowledge to reach a whole bunch of people at a very low cost to them at scale, right? Um, I like to say this a lot of times to both students that come through the clinic at the clinic that I own or um, clients when I'm working with organizations that if you do a treatment somebody comes in they've got shoulder pain like what's what's the value in that time maybe if you happen to be in network with a good uh, payer that's paying you know what what's the average 103.5 dollars and uh, a visit per medicare so maybe you get 120 130 from from one of these private payers um what's the value in that you get 130 dollars for maybe an hour's worth of your time and then it's gone. That hour worth of that hour of your time is gone, <laughs> and you'll never make more money off that time. You'll only get the hundred fifty dollars, as opposed to leveraging our skills and our knowledge, our our, our clinical knowledge, um, to develop something that can be sold again and again and again. Right? Maybe it's a a YouTube video, or maybe it's a, an article that you can monetize through ads, whatever it happens to be, there can be, there are opportunities, and there's never been more opportunities to leverage the, the knowledge that we have in a way that reaches many more people, because I can only treat one person at a time when they come into the clinic, but 
thousands of people can read an article, thousands of people can take a course, thousands of people can, can watch a YouTube video at very little cost to them, right? So it reaches many more people. The impact could arguably gr be greater and there's no income cap on that, you know? Um, one of the things I think about is the idea of what, again, going back to the idea of value and the value that clinicians bring to the table, knowledge translation is our main value. We are paid not because of these, not because we can put our hands on somebody and fix their shoulder pain or put our hands on somebody and stretch out this tight muscle. Of course, we can do that, and I'm really good at it, right? <laughs> we, some of y'all are really good at it. Um, you can find those trigger points. You can decrease somebody's tension very, very quickly. But is that truly the best use of your time? And I would argue probably not. I mean, the research would bear that out as well, that active treatments are much more effective than, than passive modalities like manual therapy and the like. So um, I would, again, argue that, that we should be focusing on those, those long-term, meaningful, like high-impact, high-value services that's done through knowledge translation, right? So if knowledge translation is the biggest value that we bring to the table, to bring to the, the healthcare industry as a whole, as clinicians, then why would we not begin to focus on ways that we can leverage our knowledge to reach many more people, maybe at a very low cost, but again, economies of scale, and increase our income? So instead of sitting in a situation where we're the schedule is getting light, people are canceling and we're freaking out because we need to, you know, we need to, if you're not drilling, you're not billing to call, um, to, to call to mind one of those dental sayings, right? If you're not drilling, you're not billing. How much more valuable would we be to our clients and our patients if we didn't need to do that? If we didn't need to bring them in and waste their time for an hour, if we could, if we had the revenue coming in from other avenues, from leveraged tech, uh, leveraged um, knowledge that we have, so that we only needed to do what was absolutely necessary for a client or for a patient to help them achieve their goals. How much more valuable would we be? Probably a whole lot more valuable, both to the payers, because they'd be paying us less, right, in the long run, to the patients, because we'd be spending less of their time and getting them arguably better outcomes and it would be valuable to us <laughs> the use of our time would be valuable because instead of feeling like we have to see this patient for four four units or whatever we get to see this patient for as much or as little as we want to because we're not worried about having to bill x number of minutes or units or, or dollars from them right so i want to really think about and i want to explore this maybe we can have a a panel discussion. If this is something that you'd be interested in, in um, hearing more about, shoot me an email and I'll, I'll try to reach out to some folks and see if we can put together maybe like a, a brainstorming alternative revenue stream panel for, for PTs and OTs. And we can kind of see if, if we can put something together like that to, to have a discussion. But I really think that the future of healthcare when especially moving into like value-based reimbursement schemes and value-based healthcare, the real opportunity lies in leveraging our knowledge and our skills 
to provide less possibly hands-on in-clinic treatment and more of that knowledge translation. So whether it be programs and resources that you're developing, whether it be just content that you're putting out into the world and monetizing to add a revenue stream to your business, or whether it be specific targeted programs. You know, there's a there's a, a company out there, I see their ads all the time now on the the socials. Um, I'm not gonna name them, but they have things like the the plantar fasciitis protocol, you know, buy this course for or this program for you know, 90 bucks or something like that. And it's six or seven weeks. It's guided with exercises and um, activities and videos and it walks you through the program. And think about what that, from a cost standpoint, what that does. One for a payer, because now they're not having to pay for physical therapy twice a week for six weeks. You know, they arguably are paying nothing. And for the patient, maybe the patient or the client has like a $25 copay. And instead of having to spend, you know, $25 times six is what? Here's, here's I'm bad at the math, 150 bucks times two, $300 on copays over the course of treatment, they spend a hundred bucks and maybe they get better that. Or maybe they spend a hundred bucks on this course, they get almost where they need to go, need to be at. Um, and then they end up going to PT for one or two visits, just to kind of put the finishing touch, the polish on that recovery, right? Like think about all of the people that benefit from that. The organization is benefiting because they're selling art, hopefully they're selling a bunch of these courses um, and it's at scale. There's no income cap on that. They can sell as many of those courses as they want to. The third party payer is benefiting because they're not, again, they're not reimbursing for you know, 12 visits of, of physical therapy. And then the patient is benefiting both in time and resources and financial investment, and hopefully in the outcome that they receive. So those are my thoughts on the topic. I know it's rather long-winded, um, but I thought it was worth, worth starting a discussion about, and not really starting, just continuing the discussion that folks like Tony are having in the, in the physical therapy space about rethinking the way we do business as clinicians. Because we've been saying it for a long time and i think it's been one of those things on the horizon even when i was going to school 10 years ago i remember them talking professors talking about well we're moving away from fee for service and we're moving more towards value-based care and it's always been this thing that's like off in the horizon yada 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 what i think was very underappreciated at least by by myself and the clinicians that i worked with or graduated with initially was what had to happen to healthcare before value-based reimbursement, value-based healthcare kind of took off. And what has to happen, what we're in the middle of right now, is a wake up of both the administrators of third-party payers and regulatory agencies and all of that kind of stuff, looking at just the spend, the healthcare spend, and saying, wow, we have got to cut this back. So at some level, Reimbursement cuts aren't going away, and probably they're going to get a little deeper before anything happens on the innovative side of actually paying for healthcare services. Um, there are some groups out there doing, you know, shared savings programs and lump sum payments and all that, and those are starting to, exp you know, like little uh, experiments here and there in value-based reimbursement, but it's not ironed out yet. So the only thing they have, the only lever they have to kind of pull the pull the brakes on this out of control healthcare spending is cutting costs. So we that's not going to get better. You know, reimbursement are going to continue to decline until something happens in the reimbursement model. 
Um, so do you want to be in a situation where again, you're like begging for scraps from Aetna or Anthem or CMS, or do you want to take the take the destiny, if you would, or take the control in your own hands and start coming up with ways to add and to increase your business's income so that you don't rely solely on the third-party payer reimbursements? I would think that you know that's what I would want to do. <laughs> so anyways, that's all I've got today. Um, if you like the show, head on over to iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. We are moving more towards some YouTube content. So if you like some of the video clips, if you'd like to see some of the, the interviews, head on over to YouTube, look for Rehab U Practice Solutions. We're gonna start posting a bunch of videos out there over the next little bit. In fact, we're, we're starting to move more towards like video podcasts, which um, I always like. Um, maybe, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Um, so there's a couple different ways to, to consume the content, either over at a place like iTunes or Spotify or something like that, or on YouTube. So um, if you own a physical or occupational therapy practice or a private healthcare practice, and you're looking for a way to um, humanize healthcare, but also change some of your business models, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Head on over to rehabupracticesolutions.com. There's links everywhere um, to schedule a call, and you know, it's free. Worst thing that happens is you... Uh, you get an interesting conversation, hopefully. So until the next time, guys, be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.